a reading from the book of Isaiah. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen the great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of darkness, upon them light has shined. Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate Christmas today through carols and scripture reading. And I love the words of that song. And for those who are joining us online, I think of the words of that song, Emmanuel, rejoice, rejoice. The idea of rejoice is to rejoy yourself. And this Christmas season, whether you've faced unexpected circumstances or tragedy or whether you're on the top of the mountain, we all need to be rejoyed. And Christmas is an opportunity to be rejoyed by the promise of forgiveness and the promise of hope and the idea that God wants to dwell among us. So why don't you stand and join us as we sing of the beauty and wonder of Christmas with the first Noel. Let's sing together. Please remain standing. God wanted to send a message to his people. The Christ would not be a politician, a military general, or an entitled king. Humility, love, freedom. Those were God's values. That's what grace looks like. How better to communicate that than by bringing the Messiah from a lowly village like Bethlehem? But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Why did God feel the need to come to earth? In a letter to his friend Timothy, the Apostle Paul explains the simple purpose of Christmas. It's the gift of salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So how do we find the meaning of Christmas for each one of us? How do we know that what we sing about and what we read about is really true? Not just a myth, not just a nice story. How do we know Jesus isn't just one of many, many ways to God? And how do we come to that decision by combining both the facts and faith? You know, you see the wise men, they, they saw a star, they had some facts, but then by faith they traveled in search of a king. The shepherds had angels appear to them, and yet the faith in the angels led them to look for the facts. This will be the sign that you'll find a baby in a manger. As we're trying to figure out how God works and can we trust him and is Jesus really the one sent from God, God wants to show you how you can combine facts with faith. I remember when my parents bought our first plot of land for our house growing up. My dad built our house with his own hands from the ground up. And part of having your own piece of property is we had to dig our own well. So my dad hired a scientist who scanned around the property looking for where the most amount of water was. 
he came to the front section right near where the the main drag is and he says right here is where the facts say that there's water my dad didn't tell anybody where he'd marked it because he wanted a second opinion so he hired a guy who brought a divining rod and this has been used for centuries to find water. And we don't know exactly how or why it works. But he snapped off a branch from our cherry tree. My dad didn't tell him what the scientists had done. And sure enough, he began to walk around our property. And as he wandered around, he came to the exact same section of our property as that scientist. And went, oh, you need to dig here. This branch led us to the place that we dug a well which provided resources for generations. My dad would tell me this story years later when I was older. He'd say, Chad, do you know what this is? I'm like, it's a stick. He's like, no. He said, Chad, what is that? I'm like, I don't know what that is, Dad. He says, Chad, it's a stick up. A stick up. He said, explain to me how this divining rod led him to put the well where we put it. In the same way, God uses specifically the predictions of a divining rod, a divine rod, a branch to lead us to the confidence we can know that Jesus is the one sent from God and to understand how God works. Like, I don't remember that in the Bible. Well, let me jump back a couple hundred years to the prophet Isaiah. You may recognize this one. A child is born, but a son is given. And there shall come a rod from the stem of Jesse, which means the Messiah will be related to Jesse, the father of King David. And a branch shall grow from his roots. A branch. In fact, Zechariah makes it even more clear. He says, when you're looking for the Messiah, look for the branch. Along comes the branch. Look for the branch. The man whose name is Branch. For he's the one who's going to bring peace on earth between God and man. The branch? People weren't expecting a branch, were they? They were expecting a general. They were expecting a commander, someone who could crush the, the Romans. But God had said in advance, look for the branch. But God often branches out from what we expect to help us find the divine branch. And we're so focused on how God should work, how he could work, how he must work, how we think he's going to work, that we don't realize he's branched out and his plan and his hope for our lives might look a little different than what we expected. What do I mean? Well, God got the branch, the Messiah, born in a very town, not born, but living, ministering, doing his work. The branch came from Branchville. That'd be easy to find out if you figure out, wouldn't it be? Let me tell you a story. Mary and Joseph just had the baby. King Herod is trying to kill him. So they run off to Egypt because Gabriel tells them to hide. It's been two years. They're on their way back because the angel said it's safe to go back. But he's like, oh, I'm not sure I can trust God. So Joseph turns aside because Herod got replaced by a couple other Herods. And instead he goes up to a little town called Nazareth. And the scriptures tell us that God got the branch to Branchville by doing something very different from what Joseph expected. He expected to live in southern, uh, southern Israel, not in the north quadrant. And here he is in Nazareth. And it says, here he is. And it says, 
by living in Nazareth, it fulfilled what the prophets had said that Jesus would be a Nazarene. What? The word Nazareth comes from a word nesed. The word is branch. The literal town is named Branchville. And Jesus will spend his life, he'll even be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Branchite who lived in Branchville that predicted hundreds of years in advance, look for the man named Branch and you'll know you found the Messiah. What's even more amazing is how God did it. God got the branch to the right location by combining three things <laughs> that occur in all of our lives. Ancient predictions that God's in control even when life feels out of control. He also combines human tragedy, things outside our circumstance, and our own choices. God can work in the midst of our good choices and he works in the midst of our bad choices. And amazingly, the God of the Bible can bring all three together to accomplish his plan. What do I mean? Well, let's jump back in history about 1,000 B.C., King Solomon. King Solomon has built the temple, but he needed some really big pieces of wood that didn't grow in Israel. So he had them imported from the non-Hebrew Gentiles. As a way of saying thank you, he gave away a piece of the promised land. Twenty towns in Galilee no longer belong to Israel. They now belong to non-Hebrew people called Gentiles. And the chunk of land he gave away was just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. That chunk of land were chunks of land given to Abraham and Isaac's descendants, a guy named Zebulun and a guy named Naphtali, which you heard us read about earlier in the service. In the middle of this exact location, predicted hundreds of years in advance, People thought, oh, this is a tragedy. You gave away the promised land? Gentiles now live there? Why in the world would you do that? It was a group of people who move into that section. And they are so convinced by looking at the ancient predictions that God is still going to work that they start a town there. And they name the town Nazareth Branchville because they are so convinced that God is going to do exactly what he said hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus of Nazareth spends his time teaching and doing miracles from this location in fulfillment of all those ancient prophecies that we heard going back to Isaiah. Look at how the pieces came together. Tragedy and ancient predictions. The land of Zebulun is where you'll find the Messiah. The land of Naphtali in the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, who now belongs to the Gentiles. It's written hundreds of years before Jesus. The people who walked in darkness are going to see a great light right there. And who's going to come out of there is the branch will grow out of the roots. The man whose name is Branch. Don't you want a God who can work in the midst of whatever tragedies come your life? That he's still in control and still has a plan. He can still work about his purposes despite what's happening in your life. Because it's not just the ancient predictions and it's not just a tragedy. He also works in the midst of our individual actions and choices. Let me give you a little more detail. 
The angel appears to Mary and Joseph and says, Herod the Great is trying to kill Jesus. Run to Egypt. And so they run to Egypt. And they're hiding out for two years. And just like God called his people out of Egypt through the Exodus, he calls his son Jesus out of Egypt. The angel again appears to them and says, Head back. Herod the Great is dead. It's safe. So he's on his way back. Where? To southern Israel. But when he arrives, he finds out there's a new Herod in charge. And he doesn't know if he can trust God to protect him from this Herod. So he makes a decision out of pure fear to turn aside and say, where could I hide out from the Herods? And he decides to hide out in the northwest quadrant of the promised land in a little town called Nazareth. And despite making decisions out of fear, not particularly faith, God used all of these things to put the branch exactly where he had prophesied. So it was fulfilled what was said by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Here's my hope for you this Christmas. That you'll be able to trust God that if he did it then, he can do it now. If God can bring about global empires like the Greeks and Romans and Babylonians and he can take individual decisions, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes fearful, and yet God has still got a plan, if he did that then, then he can do it now for you. He may not be exactly what you expect. He may not be working the way you expected. Plan on that. Expect the unexpected. Say, I'm going to trust that he works in unexpected ways. Where is God at work? You've ever wondered, is Jesus really one of many ways to God? Or did God lay out very specific criteria that Jesus fulfilled down to the very letter and location in history? And nowhere do we see this more than at the ultimate branch. The baby was born in a manger, but he would die on a tree. To offer you and I forgiveness and peace and hope. It was here we see the human tragedy of crucifixion. Combined with the individual decisions of people to deny him and betray him and to scourge him. And yet on that tree that people were cursed at, we see that this too is predicted exact detail hundreds of years in advance. But upon that cross, we see what we saw in the manger. You can trust. If he did it then, he can do it now in your life. We had a friend who was attending our our church way back, maybe 20 years ago, he started attending. He didn't necessarily believe in Jesus, God, or the Bible. But he liked to ask questions. He liked to explore. As he was on that journey, he said, you know, coming to Horizon... It's like a T1 line of information, of facts I can look at in history about Jesus and God. He said, I think the problem is that I got about a 33.6 modem up here. I can't, I just, it's not quite catching quite yet. And yet over 10 years of journey at our church, looking at the facts, leaning into a growing faith, And developing friendships with people at our church who just kept asking questions and kept showing their story, he eventually became a follower of Jesus. That's what I want for you. To know a God that you can trust individually, day in and day out. 
that you can live with confidence this Christmas, that if he did it then, he can do it now. That's what made that cross so holy. What made it holy is that God was there. What, what, what made that manger so holy was that God was there. What made it such a holy night wasn't because of the stars. It wasn't because of the animals wooing. What made it a holy night is that God is here. So join me as we head back in history to that holy night. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas. We love spending the weekend with you, and we hope you're going to join us for our Christmas Eve services. We have nine of them, Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve. And we hope the the message of Christmas resounds in you and brings you hope and courage and love and forgiveness. And maybe your expression of that is going to come in different ways. Maybe it's gathering people together to have a Christmas Eve service and open gifts and enjoy the message of Christmas. Maybe it's the end of the year and you're thinking about ways you want to give. Maybe you give to Horizon as part of the way you felt grown spiritually over the last year together. Or maybe you've been thinking about the tragedies of all these tornadoes down in, in Kentucky and how you can be part of that. If you go to our website, horizoncc.com, you'll see one of the banners will connect you to Matthew 25 Ministries. Just go directly to them with different donations you want to do. Several volunteers are going to be teaming up with them to take some of those down to Kentucky. But before we end, there's real tragedy going on in our world today. Let's pray that God would give comfort and strength to those who've been suffering over the last couple weeks. Let's pray together. Father, for each person here who's facing challenges or tragedies or difficulties or uncertainties, God, thank you for being the branch, the branch we can trust and lean into. We thank you for the unspeakable joy that transcends circumstances that you offer to us. We ask for all those who are hurting, all those who are suffering because of the tornadoes, Father, that your church would be the hands and feet of Emmanuel, God with us, to let them know they're not alone, that you can work in the midst of the circumstance, that you would bring comfort to those who are grieving, bring hope to those who are feeling hopeless. And God, that you would do what you've always done, which is turn tragedy around and use it to accomplish incredible purposes in history. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you all on Christmas Eve or in the new year.